listening to Fox Sports Radio. 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 This is Straight Out of Vegas with the voice of Vegas, your host, R.J. Bell. The pregame show America has always wanted. I doubt the future. I doubt the future. From the Vegas Strip, here's R.J. Bell. Straight out of Vegas. Straight out of Vegas! With the voice of Vegas, your host, R.J. Bell. Pay that man his money. You are now about to witness the strength of street knowledge. Live from the Vegas Strip, the pregame show America has always wanted. And now, here's R.J. Bell. You heard it, I'm R.J. live in Las Vegas, live on a Friday, live on 225 FSR stations across this great, great nation. Oh, man, big day in the NBA. We got a little NFL talk to do. We got two games that could close it out tonight. But road favorites in each of these games. The better team is the team trailing in the series, at least based upon the odds in both the games. Sports bettors listen for the money. Sports fans listen to no more than their buddies. I'm the pro. He's the Joe in L.A., Jonas Knox. Always good to be here, RJ. And yes, on a day in which we have two pivotal Game 6s coming up later on tonight and a Game 7 that was determined last night. What is the Vegas lead here on this Friday? Uh, we got to look at yesterday and figure out what happened uh, in the Game 7 line. We got out already, Brooklyn and Milwaukee. Yeah, it was the Milwaukee Bucks evening the series at three games apiece with the Brooklyn Nets. A 104-89 win at home, which sets up a Game seven this weekend between the two okay first question if you look at Giannis's average shot distance so the first three games of this series he averaged 10 foot 10 feet per shot 11 feet in the next game 12 feet in the next okay in game four he reversed it went down to nine in game five he was at nine game six five and a half feet per shot So literally his shot, the distance of his shots in aggregate was cut in half in game six per shot relative to the average of the first three games of the series. Do you look at that as, thank God, finally, and that's one of the reasons Milwaukee's playing better? Or do you look at it as, uh uh-oh, they're changing... Giannis is changing his strategy midstream that maybe can work when it's a surprise, like Rocky coming out as a right-hander in Rocky II, remember? But at some point, it can't just be a surprise. Where do you come down on this one? I just I wonder if that's the approach consistently because I reverts back to what he was. So I think I think it worked for for one game and they were able to get it done. I'm just skeptical as to whether or not that's going to have any staying power. Durant's stat line. Quite strong, 32 points, 50% field goal shooting, 11 rebounds. Uh, It felt like the energy, 
It felt like that it was, I don't want to say going through the motions, but the intensity wasn't anywhere near what it was in game five. Is that the way you saw it? Yeah, and I actually wondered if they would have been better off just getting blown out. Like, if they would have just gotten or re- blown or rest, out. I mean, wasn't it, I think it was Reggie Miller said rest them. Yeah, yeah, I just like any. I it just felt to me like there was, it, there wasn't the same vibe. And what was interesting is somebody mentioned before the game that James Harden looked much better before this game than he did the previous game. And so I don't know if the thought was, well, maybe we can actually get something from James Harden now, and so we'll just go with it for as long as we can. But you know, when you still play forty minutes after you played forty eight just a couple of days before, and you're clearly shorthanded, and James Harden played a ton of minutes as well too. I'm just I'm a little bit curious about what the plan was there and why they, you know, the time management was used the way that it was. Uh, inexperienced coach, obviously, with Brooklyn, but a coach in Steve Nash that has gotten really high marks. Uh, I would say uh, in the last month, the most common thing I've heard about Brooklyn from the people I really respect in the NBA is, boy, Steve Nash has done some smart stuff. This, that, the other. Maybe a mistake here because you make an interesting point. Is uh, Durant's not young. Harden uh, obviously had a chance to be re-injured. We don't know if he was, right? I mean, hamstrings can get tweaked. And at a certain point, it felt like that game was over, and maybe it was over before it started, in a way. The line certainly said so, right? When you have uh, Milwaukee favored by six, you know, and going up, 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 I mean, against a Nets team that, you know, was borderline unbeatable in some eyes. Now, obviously, injury, you know, now we got Kyrie out, we got Harden hobbled, but it, the, the money said Milwaukee had an easy one yesterday. They did. I think they're fatigued. I I mean, I I guess that's the question is, could you, is it reasonable to say that game seven will be affected because of the fatigue the Nets experience because of the effort put in and a futile effort late, I think, in game six? Yeah, gut feeling tells me that, yeah, that'll be the case. Um, I I just, again, unless, I don't know how James Harden with a hamstring injury gets better by playing on it. Like, because he's clearly not 100%. And then I would argue if Kyrie Irving doesn't get injured in this series, we don't see James Harden the entire rest of the way. And I think we even talked about that, you know, based on their matchup following this round, do you even play Harden until you get to the finals? Because it was looking like they didn't need James Harden. They won the first two games without him. And so the the thought that he's going to get better on this hamstring the more that he plays after playing 40 minutes in consecutive games, I, I just, to me, that, that makes me pause and have a little bit of concern if I were a Nets fan. I mean, I, I think what you're saying is, <laughs> can be said even plainer, it doesn't make any sense. There is no rationale right. that says Harden's better off playing. And I mean, if we look at the minute count, 40 minutes from Durant, and uh, Harden had uh, 39 minutes and 58 seconds. So 40 minutes from Harden. And if you look at it, the rest of the starters, Jeff Green, 35. Blake had 30. Joe Harris, 36. And, uh, I mean, it really was a situation where until late, in fact, there's only six people. I think Colin mentioned this today. I'm looking at the box score. Only uh, only six people had more than five minutes played in the game. Um, and everyone else had under 
five. So, I mean, this was a this was a tight rotation. This was a playoff rotation. But the whole point of a playoff rotation is that, yeah, you sacrifice fatigue for uh, high-impact victories, you know, really victories that are cherished and are meaningful. But if you don't have a chance to win – then what are you? Then what's the point, right? I mean, like, what are you playing extra minutes for? I mean, at what point did it feel like that game was out of reach? Uh, fourth quarter, not that deep into the fourth quarter, it felt like it was out of reach, and and I wondered sort of how this how it was going to play out because. Like Brooklyn was within like the eight to ten point range for a significant amount of time. It felt like from 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 my eyes, and so I just thought to myself, you know, th- they seem like they're in striking distance, but it's probably not a realistic opportunity to close the gap and and shrink the lead. I, I just like I would rather them be down twenty as opposed to ten at this point, which is strange to say. But at least you no, know you're not going to have yeah. you're not going to have fatigue guys for Game Seven. It's like they were tempted. They were tempted because if you look at the fourth quarter numbers, uh, Durant, Green, Harris, Harden all played exactly seven minutes and fifteen seconds. So they started the fourth together. They played to a certain point with, I guess, what, 445 left. And then they came out. And, uh, you know, and then five other guys played 445. So to me, it was an all-in effort. And at no point, I mean, was there any point that you thought, oh, Brooklyn's got a real chance here? I mean, I I, I guess if you look at the fourth here, I'm looking at the the, – Holy cow. So Brooklyn did not have the lead the whole game. Yeah. Wow. And and they were in that weird sort of in-between. Like, starting the fourth quarter, they were down 11. And in the NBA, you know, that's just that you're a couple of threes from making it a a one-possession game. But then it's back to 15 within, like, two or three minutes. Yeah, exactly. And and so they they were kind of in that in-between ground where it was like, okay, we can go for it this game because it is a reasonable deficit, but also – is it really that reasonable based on who we've got in our lineup and, and what our injuries are? And it felt like maybe they got those guys out of the game a little bit too late, which is why I'm curious to see how it plays out the next game. I mean, looking at this, it's it's interesting. It's almost like fate set it up to, to fatigue Brooklyn because with like a minute, minute and a half left in the third, it was only a five-point game. But then there was a couple buckets and – Milwaukee pushes it out a little bit. So there's a sense of, oh, we almost had that thing. So you start the fourth with a, you know, with optimism. Because if you're down 10 and you can close it out, you, I think you've got to play your starter starting the fourth. The question, in fact, I know you do. The question, now Harden, maybe not, right? Maybe not. Because at, what, at this point, how much, I mean, that's an interesting question. How much better is Harden than his replacement would be? Is he any better than his replacement would be right now? Um, I would say so, just from the threat aspect. Yeah, but at what point does that stop being a decoy when it's two games in and they know, you know, they know what he can do? Right, and so that's why I just I wonder. I don't see how he gets better. And what's interesting about it is so with with eight minutes, just under nine minutes left to go in the game, um, Joe Harris cuts the lead to five. And so you look at it and go, okay, they're really in this game. For sure. And then Milwaukee proceeded to go on a 14-0 run and went up by 19. At that point, 
everybody comes out. Like it, it may, maybe not. I wouldn't even take that long, but everybody comes out for me. I agree with you there. So you're talking. It looks like like about three minutes, maybe of, of holding on too long. But yeah. I'll make one last point. In uh, what about ten minutes and thirty seconds, the lead was fifteen. So it went from five at the end of the third, and it went up to about 10, and then it went up to 15 real fast starting the fourth. So at that point, maybe with, you know, 10 and a half minutes left, you're down 15 now. Maybe you sit them at that point. It's not like your backups can't potentially come back. You know, that's the funny thing. The Spurs, when they had that two-year run, uh, they played the Heat in the finals. There was a couple games in the Western Conference, and I was watching that every Spurs game from start to finish that year. Uh, Boris Diaw was kind of my spirit animal, uh, I guess, in the NBA. I thought if I played in the NBA, I'd be like Boris Diaw. Well, you know, so. But, <laughs> but the reality is that there was two games in which they were down by about 20 and, uh, you know, this wasn't in the finals. And they put in their whole second team. And the second team brought them back to, like, five points. And Pop left in the backups. And they ended up losing those games. And Pop said, hey, the starters are the ones that had us down 20. But to put in a high-energy second unit and say, go for it, run it, really play hard here, it probably had just as good of a chance of coming back. And you would have gotten the rest. Yeah, I I just I wonder at what point they're going to regret this decision. And look, who knows? These are maybe, you know, Kevin Durant wasn't going full speed last night. You know, maybe he was being conservative with his energy because he clearly wasn't the same player he was the previous game. And so this this could all be a moot point, but I just every advantage outside of home court is in the side of Milwaukee heading into game 7. Like well, we, every single advantage. And we got the line on the game. So, have you seen this? Uh, I have not. I I saw it earlier today, but I was wondering because I was doing the show with Brady Quinn and we were talking about how much it could possibly move uh, the Game 7 line. We saw it when it was at Pickham early, early this morning. Yeah, so right now uh, Brooklyn is a one-point favorite. And now think about this. So the game's in Brooklyn. Home court right now, probably for Brooklyn, I'll give it two and a half. So what we're saying is with a hobbled Harden, and without Kyrie, Milwaukee's the better team. Wow. If, if you're supposed to be a two-and-a-half-point favorite at home, if you're Brooklyn and you're a one-point favorite, it means you're the lesser team with the, you know, given the givens. I don't agree with that. Which, I mean, what's your gut feeling I, right I think when it comes to Milwaukee and when it comes to Milwaukee uh, it, going into this game, I... I, they're just so hard to trust. But I look at Brooklyn and I go. And I'll tell you. I'll say this: in crunch time, if the game's close late, I trust Brooklyn. But overall, I trust Milwaukee to have a more complete game, just based on their health and just based on who's available. All right. So let's take our first break because this game is going over the weekend, and we usually don't do this. When we come back, I'm going to give a pick on this game, an early pick. And one of the reasons why I'm going to pick the way I am, there's a trend home away split that really is an eye popper. Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. So, RJ, we have a Game 7 in the Eastern Conference between the Bucks and the Nets. This, of course, after Milwaukee gets a 104-89 win last night at home, forcing that Game 7 this weekend. The third lowest scoring output of the season for Brooklyn. Obviously, Milwaukee stepping up 
on defense. The line in Game 7, Brooklyn at home only favored by one. As we talked about, that means that Milwaukee right now, with a hobbled Harden on the other side, is considered to be the superior team, the better team, Milwaukee. Speaking of Harden, Jonas, let's give credit where credit's due here. And I'm saying that because I got some big credit coming up on this Sixers game. But is we asked you, impromptu, no prep time, hey, what did you think the over-under should be for Harden's points? You said 15 and a half. And the actual over-under was 16 and a half. He scored 16. So, you, I mean, it was like, I don't know if you ever pitch quarters, but when you pitch quarters, you're trying to get them as close to the wall as possible. Right. Sometimes there's just a sliver, and then someone slides it right up in there. That's what you did, right up in there, John. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it only means that the next 10 I'm going to get wrong. So that's Yeah, uh, I just, agree, yeah. but like, we might as well enjoy this one. <laughs> but at, right, le- so, at least you know when to fade me. It's usually 99, <laughs> 95% of the time. So now with Harden, He's up to 18 and a half in game seven. So um, 16 and a half last game, up two points, 18 and a half. Durant over under points, 35 and a half. If he puts up 35, he's falling short. Giannis, 33 and a half. Now the two guys left the second and third players for Milwaukee. I think this is where the problems begin. Middleton. 25 and a half, except if you look at him in the playoffs at home, Middleton's average 27 points per game scoring on the road, 19 and a half. So in the playoffs so far on the road, Middleton, 19 and a half, the betting market thinks he's going to get six points more than that, 25 and a half. And then you've got Holiday. His over under is 20 and a half. But let's look at the six games of this series so far. I'm going to rattle off his scoring. 17, 13, 9, 14, 19, 21. So one of the games, the most recent one, went over by a half. Otherwise, some real shortfalls there. I mean, 13, 9, 14 was game two, three, and four. This is supposed to be your A score in a way. I mean, he's supposed to be there because Giannis Late isn't going to be able to create, well, you know what? They didn't win a close game, and if this one's close, and when you have a line near Pickham, there's a good chance it will be. I think that Milwaukee has everything against them. They got the weight of the last three years. They got the fact that Giannis can't doesn't shoot free throws well. That in the fourth quarter he s- tends to stall the offense, and. I think that it's possible the Bucks win in a blowout. It's possible Brooklyn wins in a blowout. But if it's a close one, I want my money on Brooklyn, even with a hobbled Harden. I don't love it. We'll call it a pizza best bet. Pizza best bet. So just as much as you'd bet or spend on a pizza, whatever that amount is for you, on Brooklyn minus one. What do you think? Yeah, no, I totally agree. And we've seen what happens when things get tight down the stretch for Milwaukee. Um, you know, on the road, we just saw the most recent example. They turn the ball over. They make bad decisions, uh, aren't able to hit shots. And then free throw shooting does come into play. And I think I think a close game would side with Brooklyn as well, too. I also wonder this on, on the player props when it comes to Harden and Durant. So Durant's player prop scoring for this net game seven is 35 and a half. Yes. And, and Harden's is up to 18 and a half. Well, 
I would think that it would take James Harden a lot more shots to get his 18 and a half than normal because he's you know considerably less than 100%. And if he's taking shots, wouldn't that impact Kevin Durant's ability to hit his over? So in a way, it's almost almost not impossible, but hard for both these guys to hit their overs in these points. You kind of need one, one or the other in this case. The reason I don't agree is because Harden's number is so low relative to what it typically would be. It typically would be like 29 or 30. So the fact that it's only 18 and a half over under for points is saying maybe it won't take – yeah, it will take him more shots than usual to get 18 and a half, yeah. but it will be a lot less shots than usual to what it takes for him typically to get his 30. Gotcha. Right? In gotcha. theory, right? Yeah. Now, again, we don't know. But if they had his total at 28, I'd be worried – Thinking, uh oh, he's gonna be putting up a lot of shots to get there. So, um, and and I listen, we're gonna start an early preview uh, next. We can start with. Uh, I'll let you have dealer's choice on which of the two games. Maybe uh, my vote would be Sixers, but um, I've got a best bet, a full best bet on the Sixers. So remember, this one is a pizza best bet, but I do like Brooklyn. Yeah, and so uh, the game coming up that's tipping off at actually a little bit over an hour from now at Atlanta. It's an elimination game situation for the Philadelphia 76ers, trailing three games to two. And right now it is Philly on the road, down three games to two, but a two-and-a-half-point favorite on pregame.com. You know, one of the things that I've really been happy about with Straight out of Vegas is we've had more than a few times, you know, I'll say, let's say, uh, at least a couple times a month that on air live, we kind of were showing how a professional thinks about how to bet and how he really finds value. So on the show yesterday, we were thinking through and I said, boy, I'm going to give an early impromptu best bet. It was on the Sixers in the first half. And the reason I liked it was the game line with Sixers, road favorite of three. And the first half line, if there was no skewing of first half, second half, because the Sixers have been doing so poorly in the second half, if there was none of that, well, the line would be about half. So it would have been one and a half. Philly minus one and a half in the first half. And that's what it was. So right there, strike when the iron's hot, we made it a best bet. So in the interim, the line on the game has gone down. So Philly went from a three-point favorite to a two-and-a-half-point favorite on the road. But the line, Jonas, in the first half has gone up. It's gone from one-and-a-half to two. So now you've got a first-half line of minus two for Philly in a, set, in a game line of two-and-a-half, where yesterday we were able to lay one-and-a-half and the game line was three. So... It goes to show you the bookies aren't the smart ones. The betters are the smart ones. And the listeners to this show are contributed to, to, to adjusting the line in a way that makes more sense. So to me, that was a, a great lesson on how if you bet early, especially, you don't have to beat the smartest bettors. You just got to beat the bookies. And we know they're not all that smart. So, uh what did you uh, did you enjoy that? I, well, I think yeah. I enjoyed it. Well, yeah, it's it's funny to catch them when they're not paying attention. It's like, what was it the um, was it the Korean baseball league in which they left a lineup that was on delay? Uh, <laughs> yeah, the MGM back. did. Yeah, they, yeah, they were they left a lineup for too long, and the game had already started and was underway, so people you know cashed in on that. Um, I actually. 
if you if you like if you like Philly in this game, you almost have to like him in the series, right? Same with Utah, I would think. Oh, that's interesting. So that was my theory. Remember, is I said I thought the Clippers had value in Game Five. Yeah. But I said I think you probably want to look at the series because if the Clippers were able to win Game Five. It felt like that that confidence would maybe fuel them to be confident, you know, to win one more. Yeah. Um, now, would that be the case with Utah? Would that be? I don't. I don't know. I think the. I think the Clippers, and we'll get to that game. But I think the Clippers are so kind of irrational with when they play hard, and I don't think you can ever feel like you really got the Clippers in a too much of a corner, right? So yeah, I, I don't know how anybody's you know slept well betting on the Clippers the past year, or or I, betting against the Clippers. Yeah, it's just they're they're a weird team to figure out. I I just I, this feels like. The you know the home teams have the advantage in this game six obviously because they're at home but for the series it, like if I had to make a pick I would I would lean towards Utah and Philly winning the series right now oh so you're saying at even money if you could bet just the series you yeah. would you would take all right well let's see what the odds are because maybe I'll book you here I mean <laughs> I don't think we're across state lines are we so the the series odds right now Atlanta is about sixty percent to win Sixers are 40 percent so minus 155 on Atlanta plus 135 on Philly so yes at even money you have a bet there Jonas we'll get the stakes (laughs) cleared up and then actually the Clippers are exactly the same minus 160 and you know actually plus 145 with Utah so right in that exact range and if you actually look at the games themselves it's a similar situation. There's a team that's down three to two, but that team is the team that was favored or was the home team entering the series, and they are considered the better team right now. Utah favored by two and a half at the Clippers, and Philly, as we said, favored by two right now at Atlanta. So let's talk about the idea of Philadelphia winning the series, because I think the the issues that are raised there are raised for this game, which is when can you feel good if you're a Sixers player? Meaning when can you take a breath and say, all right, we're in good shape here. And if you're Atlanta, when do you feel de- demoralized? When do you feel like you're out of it? Because I would make the case if you're down 23 in the third, in middle of the third, in Game Seven in Philly, Atlanta still thinks they got hope. 100. percent And that's a rare thing. So to me, Philly could win it, but it isn't going to be easy. And it's the same thing, Jonas, that I asked about Milwaukee. Meaning, for them to win, they're going to have to do something that is going to be the first time they've done it. Giannis is going to have to step up in the playoffs and push a team over in a big series, and it, he's never done it. Like, I mean, he's won series, but it hasn't been like this. And with the foul shooting, with the initiation in the fourth quarter in the playoffs, I don't love Milwaukee doing that. Do you love, or I would say, how could you love Philadelphia saying, okay, Simmons, even though he shoots great free throws, he'll miss too late. They gave up a historic number of leads. You got Doc who is Rivers, who literally is probably the chokiest coach in the history of the NBA, if you just look at the numbers. Yeah. And you've got a Philly team 
that's never won anything. And you have a GM, Daryl Morey, who's known for his teams to be good on paper, but not true winners that can push through and win a series like this. And the Golden State Houston being good examples of that years past. So why in the heck would I think the Sixers are fairly priced. Like if if the line was adjusted greatly for these negatives of, uh, on Philly, maybe I'd consider it. But it feels like the line's just about what it should be if all things were equal. But I don't think they are equal because Philly has these hindrances. Where do you come down on that? Well, at some point, if you're a player on the Sixers, you know, like to your when do you when do you feel good about this? Because this is multiple times in a row you've lost leads. Like it's a less extreme version of the Falcons. Like I would contend that after that Super Bowl, I don't. I wonder what any of those guys that were on that on that team how good they felt about having a lead. We saw it last year against the Cowboys when they blew that lead. We saw it against the Bears. They blew another lead, and I just wonder. Although people say well, we don't listen to the media and all that. But you have to know in that locker room, when we get up by 20, it's not safe. Like, like we still have to keep our foot on the gas because Atlanta's got the ability to come back. And Atlanta's playing, you know, with house money, it feels like at this point. Nobody expected Atlanta to have the number one team on the brink, the team that seemed more confident and comfortable late in games, even on the road. And yet they're going back home right now. So if, if I'm Atlanta... Uh, they get down early, which I don't think would be a surprise at all based on what we've seen from Philadelphia, even in the previous game. Like I, I just think Atlanta feels comfortable in that spot at this point. And I think Atlanta at home here, This is this the biggest basketball game since when? Oh, I mean... Um, I mean, there were they had a couple of. Uh, I think they were a number one seed. They lost to LeBron in the in the second round. Yeah, but was that but, but was that really a vibe? You know, you could make the case they didn't think they were going to win that thing, and, and, right? and it wasn't. And they didn't have a legitimate superstar player. Like they had Josh Smith and some other guys that were there, but not a legitimate superstar like Trey Young. In fact, I, I would argue maybe he's the biggest superstar they've had since Dominique. Dominique, the yeah. human highlight. Film. Now that's a good nickname. Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. Hey, this is Jason McIntyre. Join me every weekday morning on my podcast, Straight Fire with Jason McIntyre. This isn't your typical sports pod pushing the same tired narratives down your throat every day. Straight Fire gives you honest opinions on all the biggest sports headlines, accurate stats to help you win big at the sports book, and all the best guests. Do yourself a favor and listen to Straight Fire with Jason McIntyre on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tipping off less than an hour from now in Atlanta, it's the 76ers, a two-and-a-half-point favorite on pregame.com over the Hawks. So the question is, our best bet from yesterday, which was the 76ers in the first half, would we bet it now that the numbers have moved in that direction where it's now you have to lay uh, two points instead of one-and-a-half, even though the line has gone down to Sixers two-and-a-half? I would say yes, and here's why. And Jonas, you'll enjoy this. This is a good gambling quiz to kind of understand how savvy of a gambler someone is. So if you walk into a casino and you walk up to a roulette table, and one of the things they have at the roulette table is they have the board that has the spins, the last certain number of spins, and if it's red or black and what the numbers are. And if you walk up and you see that the last 10 spins were black, 
what do you do? If you have to bet, if you're forced to bet something, do you bet red or do you bet black? Me, I always bet red. No matter what? No matter what. Okay, so it doesn't matter what you saw up there. Okay. Yeah, I mean, well, my, my preference is black for whatever reason, but if I see a, a color that many times in a row, I just assume it's going to go the other way. Okay, and a lot of people think that way. For certain, for certain, you want to go red. Here's why. Odds are very, very, and this applies to the Sixers, is odds are very good that it's random. And thus, the next spin is going to be exactly even chance of red and black. And if that's the case, it doesn't matter what you do. You've got the same odds. But there's a small chance that there's a fundamental reason that there's something wrong with the wheel and that the red is coming up so much because of some flaw in the wheel. And that's because there's some chance greater than zero that there's a reason for this. You might as well go with it because it can't be worse than 50%. It can't be that there's some advantage with the black because how could it be red 10 in a row? So it's either an even spin or you got advantage with the red. With the 76ers and their second half woes, it's either pure luck or there's something driving it. And if there's something driving it, then you most certainly would want to have the first half instead of the second half, even with the slight mispricing as they do now, minus two for the first half and minus two and a half for the game. Now, what are what's the rationale of what this could be? Why is this biased, right? Why isn't it random? Well, one... Ben Simmons taking zero shots, zero field goal attempts the last two fourth quarters is not random. It's not like he's missing shots or making shots. He's not even taking shots. He's afraid to get fouled, it seems. But we know he's been non-existent as an offensive force or even offensive contribution in the fourth quarters for two games now. That means that, that Ben Simmons, who is contributing in the first half, makes Philadelphia a better team. And you know what else? We saw with our own eyes two straight games where Embiid looked like a different player in the second half. And it's not just, oh, maybe it's a fluke. No, the guy's hurt. And it seems like his hops are being hindered, and he's got uh, whatever the cause of it is. Now, there's a chance that it won't be the case in this game. But when it happens two straight games, you can't say that was just a fluke either. At least there's a good chance it wasn't a fluke. And then thirdly, even if all of it was a fluke, it's in their heads. And the fact it's in their heads is meaningful. So to me, I know it seems obvious, but I think the Sixers' chance in the first half is significantly better than in the second, and thus for the game. And thus, I would bet the Sixers in the first half, even now, though I did yesterday. Let's take a quick gander at the Clippers and Jazz. Yeah, it's another Game 6, the second half of this doubleheader later on tonight, 7 Eastern time. The Clippers with a 3-2 series lead, but it's the Jazz, much like Philly, a 2.5-point road favorite on pregame.com. Here's the stat that I think is trouble if you're a Clippers better or if you're rooting for him is based upon the uh, NBA analytics second spectrum. They assess how the quality of shots of a team. And that's, you, you know, that's something we've always wanted to know. Like when a team shoots well, is it just a make or miss league and they got lucky and they made some shots or were they getting especially good shots? 
where the Clippers were getting especially bad shots. When they won, shockingly, the most recent game, they did so with some of the worst quality of shots of the entire playoffs, not just for them, but for any team. So the fact that they made those shots, let's give them a ton of credit. But they weren't getting easy shots, and thus them making the Clippers tough shots again, to me, odds are against it. So give them credit for doing it, but I don't think they figured anything out. And because of that, I would lean towards Utah. I don't like it, but I would lean towards the Jazz Clippers. It's not repeatable what they did last game. 